0: You know, one of the biggest problems we see in culture today is is men lack a path. In the 1970s, uh, there was this movement that I don't need a man. In the 1990s, it became I don't want a man. And in 2023, it's what is a man. So, so one of the things I get to do is is present uh, a pathway forward. It's the path that God established, that God designed. That's what I get to do is help men reclaim their manhood. It was in uh, Nancy Piercy's book. It was a study by Dr. McNamara, where for six months, him and his team reviewed 2,000 mass media channels. So when I say mass media channel, anything from the New York Times, Washington Post, all the way to daytime television, talk show television, sitcoms, right? And what they did is they just monitored and they denoted any time a man was mentioned, any time a man was brought forward, any time manhood or masculinity was discussed. And what they discovered is that culture, by and large, paints with this broad brush and they paint men in a negative light. For example, 75% of the time, 75% of the time in mass media, mass cultural media, any time a man is mentioned, He's mentioned in one of four ways. And what's crazy is anytime mass media, anytime culture mentions a man, 75% of the time, it mentions a man in one of four ways. The man is either a villain, an aggressor, a pervert, or a womanizer. So I want you to think about that. Anytime a man is mentioned, anytime we talk about manhood, masculinity, whether it's in the New York Times, Washington Post, or it's daytime television, a man is being seen as a villain, an aggressor, a womanizer, or a pervert, and it's crazy. Men are the only subset. Like when you think about cultural subsets, when you think about people groups, when you think about gender and race, etc., okay. men are the only subset that you can paint with a broad brush. And like, not only does, not only is that okay, but it's applauded. Like, especially in high academic circles, like you can, get a, you can get an honorary doctorate in bashing men. And it's the only, it's the only subset that, that we let people get away with that. If I made some sort of demoralizing generalization about women, I'd be canceled immediately. If I made some sort of degrading remark about African-Americans or Native Americans or any type of subset, I would be canceled immediately and rightly so, but with men, it's different. Right With men, you can just paint, I call it the Epstein brush, right? Everybody knows Epstein, he's terrible, he's a criminal, he's trafficking children, that's terrible. Men just get painted with this Epstein brush, so because Epstein does it, then all men must do it, right? Because one man's a villain, then all men must be villains. Because one man's a pervert, then all men must be perverts. And they just paint us with this broad brush, and we have to take it. Like Our back's against the wall. So literally, we have generations of men, specifically young men right now, and they're growing up, consuming all this media, consuming all this culture, and this is what they're learning. They're learning, you're a villain, you're an aggressor, you're a pervert, you're a womanizer. And what happens after being told that over and over again." Well, you start to believe it. Like You'll start to to take on that identity and you'll start to act out in that way. Uh, Environment is everything, right? Definitely our DNA and and our genes determine some of our proclivities and certainly determine our taste, but it's our environment that determines our destination. It's our environment that determines the direction we head in life. So if I'm living in this environment where everyone and everything in that environment is telling me I'm a womanizer, then guess what? I'm probably going to become that. Or or I'm a pervert or I'm a villain. I'm an aggressor. Guess what? I'm going to, I'm going to become that. And what's worse is you see men today, not only have they become that, but like they're taking on that identity and they're monetizing it and they're promoting it, a guy like Andrew Tate, right? So you know what? I'm a womanizer. Guess what? I'm going to be, I'm going to be a black belt in womanizing. And not only am I, am I going to be a black belt in it, but I'm going to train other men to be black belts in it. Right. And it just, it just propagates that false identity and that false illusion of who we are and who we should be becoming. And, and man, we got to push back against that. Like, like, like all you men watching today and, and, and listening, listen, you're not a villain. Right? The world still needs good guys. It's so interesting. You look at all the recent Disney movies. Man, go back 20, 30 years ago, and every Disney movie had some prince charming figure in it. There was still a prince that that needed to save the girl, that needed to, to fight the dragon. And bro, I love fighting the dragon, right? Because what's behind every dragon? Well, there's either gold or a girl behind every dragon, and today guys have neither. Why's that? Because we stopped fighting the dragon. And what Disney did, Disney just completely eliminated the prince, right? So most Disney movies today, it's a female character, it's a princess, and they no longer need a man, right? What's the uh, Tangled, the Rapunzel one? All all Rapunzel needs is a frying pan. So she just hits people with a frying pan. See the other one, Merida, right? She just needs a bow and arrow. Moana, she's the heroine, right? And- and it's no more night, no more Prince Charming, no more men. It's just, we're just taking all the good that was ever in culture and society, and we're, just, and we're just pushing it out. Listen to a daytime talk show. Don't listen to it too much. Watch a sitcom and see how a man is being portrayed. So we're just, we're being infiltrated by these false identities and these misconceptions and these lies about who we are. And then that's not who we are. It's not God who God created us to be. It's not how how he designed manhood and masculinity, and it's certainly not how we should be operating and acting in the world. So how do we combat a lie? What's the only way to beat a lie? Well, the only way to beat a lie is with truth, right? And I love what Martin Lloyd-Jones said. Martin Lloyd-Jones, man, he's a phenomenal Welsh dude. He wrote a book called Spiritual Depression, short read, phenomenal book, but he said, he said a lot of a lot of depression and a lot of false identity a lot of hopelessness comes from the, the fact that that we we listen to ourselves too much so instead of listening to ourselves we need to be speaking to ourselves we need to be talking to ourselves so instead of listening to all the crap and the false narrative and lies that culture is feeding us we need to be talking to ourselves and speaking truths to ourselves that combat those lies and that's what I want to see man I want to see generations of men that look like crazy people just walking around talking to themselves just like speaking that truth over to their lives of who I am right no I'm not a villain I'm a hero like like I've been created to bring good into this world man I can add things that are missing. I can fix things that are broken, and whether that's a flat tire or a broken heart, man, I, I can fix that. I can, man, I can kill evil, both, both the evil in the world and the evil that's inside of me, and man, I can preserve, and I can promote the good things that I see. Like, like, like I can do that, man. I'm not a villain. I'm a hero. As a man, I'm a hero, and I want to tell myself that. I want to speak that to myself, right? I'm not a, I'm not a pervert. Man, no, I believe women were created in the image of God and they deserve dignity and honor and respect. I want to see a whole generation of men that that when they make an advance on a woman, if they make a sexual advance on a woman and they're turned down and they're turned away and they're put in the friend zone, like I don't want to see them act like petulant children. I want them to be able to be turned down but still have enough virtue and courage to safely walk that woman home, to safely care for her be there for her. Right? We're not perverts just all the time sitting around looking at porn and thinking about sex. That's not who we are. No, man, we treat women with dignity and honor, right? We're not we're not womanizers. That's not what all men are. Are there womanizers out there? Absolutely. Just take a look at media. But that's not who we are. We don't not all men see women as objects to be conquered. No, like, like I see women as people to be cared for, to be encouraged, to be built up and, and lifted up, whether that's my wife, whether that's my fiance, whether it's the girl I just texted and, and I'm sitting on bubbles waiting for her to get back with me. Like, like, like whether it's my sister, my mom, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not looking at at, at women as as something to be to be taken for my for my self-gratification. Absolutely not, man. Like, like when women are with me. My, my, my job my goal is to make sure they feel safe. Like like when a woman walks into my ecosystem, man, I want her to be secure and safe, man. I want her to be encouraged, inspired, built up. I'm not an aggressor, right? Like all men aren't aspiring UFC fighters. Like 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 it's we're we're, we're not all these these aggressive beasts right? It doesn't mean we're not strong. It doesn't mean we're not courageous. It doesn't mean we're not confident. It just means maybe I'm not interested in punching a bunch of people in the face. And that's okay too, right? As a matter of fact, when I think about like when I think about true strength, and I think about the word meekness, and I love how the Bible talks about Jesus as being meek, and, and so many people hear that, and they take meekness, and they ascribe it to weakness. Man, that's not what meekness is. Meekness is literally having the ability, having the upper hand, having power, but keeping it in check, like keeping it in control. That's what meekness is. Oh, who was it? It was LL Cool J or I think it was LL Cool J. He said, real gangsters move in silence. That's meekness, man. (laughs) Like, I don't have to tell you I'm the man. I don't, have to, I don't have to punch you in the face for you to know that I'm the man. No, no, Real gangsters move in silence, right? We're meek. It's power in check. It's power under control. And we're using our strength and we're using our courage and we're, and, and we're, we're using everything we have not to advance ourselves, but to advance others, right? That's the best definition of leadership I've ever heard is that leadership takes the initiative for the betterment of others. That's what a real leader does. That's what a real man does. Like he takes the initiative for the betterment of others. You're not a a villain. You're not an aggressor. You're not a pervert. You're You're not a womanizer. You're a leader. You're a good man, right? So every day, like I want you to wake up and I want you to speak those truths over yourself. Like literally, you need to wake up and look in the mirror and say, listen, listen, I'm a good man. Like I'm a leader. I was put on this earth to take the initiative for the betterment of others. I'm going to better someone's life today because I'm here, because I'm present, because I'm ready to get involved, man. I'm not the bad guy. I'm the good guy. I'm not the aggressor. I'm not the womanizer. I'm not the pervert. I'm not going to listen to what media and talk shows and newspapers are constantly saying about me. No, that's not who I am. I'm a good man. I'm a leader. I'm going to tell myself that until I believe it. Because what happens when you believe it? Man, you start acting on it. You start acting it out, right? Say it till you believe it, right? You've heard that phrase, fake it till you make it. I'm telling you, say it till you believe it, till you become it. So some of you listening to this, like you literally need to get off the couch and focus on mile one. Focus on taking that next step and serving and loving your family. What's one little step today you can take in better leading your marriage? Maybe it's just by praying for your wife. Make a commitment that, that every day for the next 30 days, you're gonna take a moment and just pray for your wife. Men men typically are believing one of two lies, right? You actually find these lies in the very beginning of Scripture, right? So Satan comes to Adam and Eve and says, eat of this fruit, right? And you'll be like God. And actually the translation there is you will be as Elohim, so you will be God. So basically what Satan was telling Adam and Eve was eat this fruit and you won't need God. You won't need anyone else you'll just go crush it. So they do. They eat the fruit and then their eyes are open and they realize they're naked. So then the Bible says they run and hide because they're guilty and ashamed. And then that's the second lie, that you're so bad God can never want you. You're so bad that, that society, your family, whomever could never love you. So all men, we're living between these two lies. We're so good we don't need anybody else or we're so bad that no one could ever want us or love us. And what happens is because we live between these two lies, and here's the reality, I can wake up on Monday morning and be believing the first lie, and then by 4 o'clock that afternoon be believing the second lie. (laughs) That's how subtle and dangerous it is. But because we live in this space between these two lies, I'm so good, I don't need anyone, or I'm so bad, no one could ever want me. What happens typically with men is we just shut down. We just shut down, we become ignorant, we become passive, and we don't step up and lead in the ways we should be leading. We become fearful, right? Like the eight spies that come back for Israel, and instead of taking the promised land, they say, no, there's giants and foreign armies in there, and we can't go in, so that, so that basically they have to go wander the desert for 40 years. I think there's a lot of men wandering the desert right now, and you've been wandering the desert for 40 years because of shame, because of guilt, because of fear, whatever it is, right? Because your own selfish pride sent you there and you become inactive. So you're not leading in your community. Uh, You're not leading at work. You're not leading in your home. You're not even leading yourself. Well, what does it look like? It looks like inactivity. It looks like having no motivation. It looks like lacking passion. Uh, You lack direction. You have no desire to make yourself or the world around you you better. So, so, so you just shut down, and, and everything is status quo, and you just live in this kind of wash, rinse, repeat. Wash, rinse, repeat. When the reality is, like, like God's offered you this amazing mantle. He's offered you this holiday at sea, but you're content with playing with mud pies on the seashore, as C.S. Lewis said right? No, no, there's something more for you. Uh, you, 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 need, you need to recognize that. I think if, if a man was to ask me, you know, Harp, how can I take what's mine? How can I, I grab hold of the inheritance God has for me instead of a part of the inheritance or half the inheritance or none of the inheritance, right? I, I, I think I'd say two or three things, right? First, you need to recognize that, that you were built for more, that, that as a man, God's given you a mantle of leadership, there's a reason why he put Adam first in the garden to grow it and cultivate it. Adam wasn't just to tend that garden that garden is reflective of civilization like like men are put into this world not just to tend a garden but like we're supposed to be building skyscrapers and splitting the atom and cultivating and creating into infinity like like that's what we were made to do. we're creatives that's who we are so, recognizing that that's who you are like like you were put here not to meet the status quo but like to make the world better to make your home better to make your place of employment better when you're walking down the street and you see a piece of trash on the ground like you don't walk by it you bend down you pick it up and you throw it away because you make the world better like that's what you do you have the power to do that whether it's picking up trash or whether it's the next great invention that's going to revolutionize the way the world looks at something like, like you're here for it. And you need to recognize that you need to believe that. And then secondly, like you need to start taking the initiative. Like that's what a real man does. That's what, that's what good men and men who want to better the world do. Like, like they take the initiative, they raise their hand and they they, they say, I'm here for this. And here's the key about taking initiative. Like, It doesn't have to be this grand gesture. It just needs to be slow and steady steps. I love that. I love that Old Testament passage. Blessed are the steps of the righteous man. Blessed are the steps of a good man. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, Blessed are the leaps and bounds of a man. Blessed is the man that, that in all his strength takes one single leap and bounds the building like Superman. No, blessed are the steps. It's literally just one foot in front of the other. Some of you, you don't get going, you don't get started because you, you, you see mile 26 when you should be looking at mile one. <laughs> like the guy that starts running a marathon, he's not focused on mile 26. He's focused on mile one and then mile two And then mile three, and before you know it, you've finished the race. So some of you listening to this, like you literally need to get off the couch and focus on mile one. Focus on lap one. Focus on taking that next step, and I don't know what that is for you. Taking that next step and serving and loving your family taking that next step and being a better employee or employer, taking that next step, sacrificing and, and serving your community well, right? In your marriage, man, what's one little step today you can take in better leading your marriage? Maybe it's just, maybe it's just start by, by praying for your wife. Make a commitment that, that every day for the next 30 days, you're going to take a moment and just pray for your wife. Like, like you get that privilege, You get that role and and that responsibility. After doing it for 30 days, you're going to do it for 60 and 90, and eventually it's just going to become a part of who you are. It's just little steps. You've you've got to take that first step. Maybe it's with, with your children. Do you know what the number one indicator of success is in a person's life? Like in a grown person's life, the number one indicator of success of Mental health and physical health and psychological health is dictated by the number of dinners they shared with their family around the dinner table. It's the number one indicator of success. Maybe this first step you need to take as a man is simply being present and having dinner with your family as many nights as possible. And listen to me, bro, like Chick-fil-A in back of the expedition on your way to travel baseball doesn't count. Like that doesn't count. Like I'm talking at the dinner table, sitting down, having dinner with your family. Like I started doing this in my own life. There's no one more convicted, more guilty of not doing this than than, than me. Like I started a calendar where any night I miss dinner with my family around the dinner table, I just put a red X. And so at the end of the month, I can look at that. And and bro, there there are some months that there's more red than black. You feel me? There's more red than black. But man, I'm, I'm trying. This month. I'm trying to have 10 dinners around the table. Next month, I'm going to have 12. And then the next month after that, I'm going to shoot for 15. And then eventually, I'm going to get, man, where where I'm cutting out all the noise in my life and and, and I'm making my family more of a, a priority. And hopefully, I'm having 20, 25 meals around the table with my wife and with my kids. But we got to start somewhere. You know where I started? I started with about four meals a month. Once a week, I was having dinner with my family. That's how bad it got for me. Maybe it's just taking that step. Maybe it's like Bible reading. You know how many guys I hear all the time, man, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, right? That's why Genesis 1 through 12 are the most read chapters in the history of the world. Like, like you read Genesis 1 through 12, and then you get to Genesis 12, you're like, I have no idea what's going on. <laughs> like, like, and you just bail. So don't try to read the Bible in a year. Man, just start tomorrow. You know what? I'm going to get up, and I'm going to read my Bible for two minutes. Start in the Gospel of John and just read your Bible for two minutes. Do that for a few months, and then increase it to five minutes. Do that for a few months, and then increase it to 15 minutes. And then before you know it, man, you're reading a couple of chapters a day. Before you know it, you're able to read through the Bible once or twice in a year but it takes it's the steps of the righteous that are blessed these small steps so so acknowledge you're being called to something greater take initiative raise your hand say i'm here for it i'm going to start right now and i don't have to eat this whole elephant in one setting i can eat this guy one bite at a time and then lastly man if you're going to follow through like if you're going to do it you need to be held accountable You have to find accountability. We talk about this all the time on the show about how isolation and loneliness is killing men. A lack of accountability will kill you. Like if you're not letting other men know in your circle, hey, this is what I'm doing. I want you to hold me accountable. I want you to speak into this. Man, you're not going to succeed. Because what's going to happen is you're going to miss one or two days. You're going to start feeling guilty about it. And then you're just going to check out and you're just going to stop. And you're not going to have that brother there to encourage you and to build you up and to tell you, man, get back on the horse. Let's go. It's not how many times you fall. It's how many times you get up, right? What did Rocky say? Man, it's not how hard you can hit. It's how hard you can get hit and keep going. Everybody loved that scene, right? Right. Man, you need somebody. You need a Rocky in your life telling you, man, like, like, no, it's okay. We're going to misstep. We're going to fall down, but we got to get back up. So you've got to find men to, to hold you accountable. You need to call somebody. You need to call a friend and say, hey, listen, I'm not reading the Bible like I should be. Starting tomorrow, I'm going to read it for two minutes. I need you to text me at the end of the day or call me at the end of the day and ask me if I read for two minutes, and I need you to do that for the next month. I had a buddy that was wrestling with porn. So he just gave me access to all of his devices, like everything he sees, I see, right? He doesn't want to look at porn because he knows I'm watching. That's a check. That's a physical and mental check that keeps him in bounds because he doesn't want to be embarrassed. He doesn't want his best friend to know what he's seeing and what he knows, right? He needed that accountability. And after a while, I'm hoping that behavioral change turns into a heart change, right? So you acknowledge, man, that God has something more for me. You raise your hand and say, I'm here for it. I'm taking the initiative. I'm starting today. I'm not focused on mile 26. I'm focused on mile one. I'm doing mile one today. And then you let others know so they can hold you accountable so that you can be in community with them, a brotherhood that's going to lift you up, prop you up, build you up. Even when you fall, even when you fall, listen, Moses needed somebody to hold his arms up. Even Moses got tired. He needed someone to hold his arms up, right? Chris Harper needs someone every now and then to hold my arms up. I need that accountability. I need those relations in my life. If you do those three things, man, you can start leading today. You can start leading well today and being the man that you've been called to be. Uh, Men think they can take a shortcut to success, only to discover that it led to nowhere, and not just nowhere, but more times than not, it created more hurt and more harm and more confusion. Becoming the man that God has called you to be, man, there are no shortcuts. We're going to talk about taking that hard path to to a better life, a better you, to to rediscovering what what God's design for, for manhood and masculinity really is and is all about. It's not... It's not harmless that makes us good, right? If you're, if you're harmless, you're not good. You're, you're just kind of useless. But it's, it's actually being capable of violence, being capable of danger that, that, that makes you useful when you control that. And here's the reality. Like, like All men are capable of violence in one way or another. Like Even if I'm not capable of violence with my fist, I'm capable of violence with my thoughts. I'm capable of violence with my um, tongue. Hitler wasn't a black belt in jujitsu. Hitler was just an evil man. He was very capable of violence because his immorality and, and, and his thoughts and what he, what he thought about, about an entire race. So, so we're all capable of harm. We're all capable of hurting someone. We're all capable of being violent. But what, what keeps that in check? Where's your sense of morality that, that that keeps that in check? Where's the definition around your identity that that keeps that in check, right? So if if I'm capable of of violence and I am, if I'm capable of hurting someone and I am, and all I do uh, day in and day out is be inoculated with this with this narrative that that I am. A villain, that I am an aggressor, that I am a womanizer, that I am a pervert, guess what? I'm going to take my capacity for violence and harm and hurting people, and it's going to manifest in my life because it's there. It's latent. It's there. Or I'm going to have a new narrative, a different narrative, a true narrative that says, no, 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 no. Yeah, yeah, we're all capable of evil. We're all capable of violence. We're all capable of hurting someone. But that's not who I am. Like, that's not what I was put on this world to do. As a matter of fact, I'm here to push back against evil. I'm here to push back against darkness. I'm here to push back against violence. And I can even use force to do that. Um, Laura Ingram talks about this. She, she, she had that, that news segment where, where she asked, where have all the good men gone? Right? She talked about the violence that was being perpetrated against women, like public violence, a woman being sexually assaulted on a Philadelphia train and no one doing anything about it, men just standing around and filming it. Well, well, who was more evil in that situation, the guy raping the woman or the eight guys that could do something about it and chose not to? Yeah, they're just as guilty and evil and violent as the man that was doing it. That's that old proverb, right? Evil exists because good men do nothing about it. Like, like, like we step in and we can actually prevent evil and prevent harm from happening. We're not the cause of evil and harm. No, we prevent that. That's what a good man does. But the reality is the majority of men live in this middle of kind of a passivity, and it's what uh, Kenny Rogers said: like we're on, we're all on a train bound for nowhere, right? And it's not our, it's not our fears and our worries and our concerns that, that hold us back. No. So we're all on like this train bound for nowhere. It's interesting what Marianne Williamson said. She has this quote, she says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It's our light, not our darkness that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, Who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? You are a child of God. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine as children do. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we consciously give others permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Man, that's so powerful, right? Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond all measure, right? It's not, it's our light, not our darkness that, that, scares us, right? So it's that it's that idea that, um, man, I'm made to be something more. I'm created to be something more. And that something more is powerful. That something more is good. That something more is brilliant. And out of fear, out of wonder what will happen, out of not thinking you'll ever measure up to that or live up to that, what we do is shrink. And we think that in our shrinking, you know, we'll feel secure or we'll help others feel secure. But that's that's, that's not it at all. Like, like what you're doing is wasting the talents and wasting the gifts and wasting the opportunity that God has for you. It's it, it's like the parable of the talents, right? God gives a guy one, he gives a guy two, he gives a guy four, and he says, Listen, invest this and invest it well. And and when I come back, we'll talk about it. So he comes back, and and the guy that was given four talents has made eight. And God's like, man, good on you. Like, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I gave you a little. You made it a lot. Let's go. And the guy that was given two, he doubled it and, and gave God back four. And God said, man, that's what I'm talking about. Good on you. Enter into the joy of your master. Like, like you're the one. But the guy that, that he gave one, God said, all right, where's my money? the guy's like, listen, I, I know you're a hard man. I know you reap where you don't sow. I was nervous. I was afraid. I was scared. I was insecure. So I buried it. And here you go. Here's your one talent back. And God's like, you fool. Like, you could have put that in the bank and at least made interest, like a little interest. <laughs> and he snatches it from him and he gives it to the guy that has more. And it's bad news for that guy. I think there's a lot of men that are like that one-talent guy. God's given you one talent, and instead of investing that in talent, instead of growing it, instead of wanting to multiply it, like you've buried it in the sands. So it's not, man, it's not the darkness that you're afraid of. It, it's the light. Like your greatest fear is, is, is how great you actually could become with the gifts and, and the abilities God has given you. And listen, we're not all going to be ten-talent guys. I get it. We're not even all going to be eight talent guys. That's not the point. That's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is you've been giving something, man. Take what you have and go multiply it. Take what you have and grow in it. Take what you have and, and, and make it better so that, so that when God comes back, you can say, Hey, listen, God, you, you gave me one talent, but I'm giving you two and a half back because I wasn't afraid of my brilliance. I wasn't afraid of the light. Like, I wasn't afraid of what I could become. And I think of Caleb, the biblical character Caleb. He's the least. He's the least of the ten spies that were sent out. As a matter of fact, the Hebrew word for Caleb means dog. It means dog. That was his name. He's just a dog. But he comes back from from searching out the promised land, ready to take the promised land. All the other... All the other spies, except for Joshua, are scared to death. They're telling Moses, we can't go in. There's giants and bad things and foreign armies. We can't go in. And Caleb's like, whoa, whoa, like, if God is for us, who be against us, let's go. And the other spies, they get so mad at Caleb, they tell him to shut up. Like, like Caleb is literally living in his brilliance. He's living in his greatness. He's living for God. The other spies say, man, if you don't shut up, we're going to stone you out back. Like, quit talking. And the other spies convince Moses not to go in, so they've got to wander in the desert for 40 years. Most people don't know what happens after the story, though, right? So Moses, he has to pass leadership to Joshua. So 40 years later, they're back at the promised land. Caleb comes up to Joshua and says, "Hey, Jay, listen. I'm twice as old." So when he went in, he was 40. He's been in the desert for 40 years, so now he's 80. He says, Jay, I'm, I'm, I'm twice as old, but God has made me just as strong. Give me the land that was promised for me. Give me the land. Give me the hill country, which, by the way, if you know anything about military strategy, like the hill country is the hardest country to take. Like the high position, the high ground is the hardest ground to take. Everybody wants to take the valley. No one wants to take the high ground because that's the most difficult. Caleb says, No. Give me the high ground. I'm twice as old. I'm just as strong, Jay. I'm going in. And what does he do, man? He takes the high ground. He fully takes his inheritance. It wasn't the darkness, bro. Like like he went into the light. He went into the brilliance. He went into all that he has. It's not... Man, it's not the darkness that, that that's holding you back. It's your greatest fear is, is how great you can become. Your greatest fear is taking hold of everything that God has for you. You need to take hold of it.